Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week I'm chatting with a slightly man-fluid, weird radio voice, so please bear with me on this one. But I'll make it up to you with today's interview, I hope, because we're chatting with Tommy Seguro, who is the founder of Easy Buyers Agent. Now, Tommy's first investment property, he got wrong. So I'm finding it really interesting to dive into the reasons why that investment was a failure for Tommy and how he's able to bounce back to the point where he has a portfolio of five high-performing entities. We have a chat to Tommy about the cultural background that he comes from and how that influenced his purchasing decisions from the outset and how that's changed today. We also talk to him about the different strategies that he employs for his clients and to grow his own portfolio. And we have a little bit of chat about the Perth property market where he's from as well. Tommy's really generous with his time and quite humble about what he's done with property so far. I think it's a great interview which you'll enjoy. Joy. Here's Tommy. Tommy Segura, thanks for joining us on Geared for Growth. Thank you, Mike, for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, Tommy, and I'll run through the, the basic sort of openers with you. Let's kick it off with who are you and what do you specialize in? Well, I'm, I'm a buyer's agent operating in Western Australia in Perth. Um, having said that, I've got an IT background. I'm a software developer uh, for more than 15 years myself. And um, obviously, as a, as a buyer's agent, I specialize in helping people buy property. Um, my clientele so far are ranging from um, first-home buyers, owner-occupiers, and investors. Um, each market segment has its own has their own requirements. Um, so obviously owner occupiers and first zone buyers are more into buying a house that suits their requirements. And at the same time, you know, in, in an area that, that has growth, close to amenities and all that, um, while for the investors, it's all about the numbers and return on investment. So as you can appreciate, each of them has different requirements. So I would, I would try my best to, to purchase them properties based on what they're looking for. So that's my specialty there. Yeah, and we're going to dive into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that you do with investors for sure. I'm I'm interested in uh, a bit of the um, of the uh, less public Tommy, a la what posters were on the bedroom wall growing up. Whoa, posters! To be honest, I I have never had a an artist or someone that are really really what do you call like i'm a big fan of i'm 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 a big fan of bon jovi but i don't i've ever had a um, a poster of him hanging on my bedroom to be honest so yeah <laughs> it's never too late tommy i know what i'm getting you for christmas now yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what about property how did you first get started in property and what was your first investment why i was getting into property is because obviously um being raised i'm i'm an Indonesian and in Indonesia um, I've always been taught to you know make sure you buy property because property will go up in values and and that's that's how I knew about not not about so much about knowledge on property but I only knew that I had to buy a property so um, uh, if we went back to 2006 um, I think I was uh, my third year into into uh, into my uh, development career, uh, software development career. And I think uh, 2006, that was the first time I kind of earned my, you know, six figure salaries. I was like, I was just trying to impress my friends, my family. First time I could afford a 
buying a, a property, right? Because that's how I've been raised as well. That especially as as a guy, um, it's really important um, in, in Indonesia that you you have to be able to buy your own property. So that's how I get started. Um, didn't do any research. I just bought it out of ego. So that's 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 how I um I, I bought my first property. That sounds like a recipe for disaster, and I, I, I'm just I, I want to sort of uh, delay gratification of the listeners, and they'll be annoyed at me. But I want to jump into that um, in in a second. But I want I'm interested in the cultural side of things. So you mentioned that the, there's the maybe the the masculine ego behind being a, a property investor, but uh, I- Indonesian, uh, I guess. People are aspiring to property. Perhaps it's a cultural thing. But uh, you've mentioned to me before about the the Indonesian uh, Indonesian sort of approach to cash. There's not necessarily a a, a borrowing sort of side of, of purchasing investment properties in Indonesia. What what can you speak to us about with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, because uh, I mean, I, I can probably speak uh, on behalf of a lot of Indonesians. I mean, a lot of us, um, especially my parents' um, uh, generation, uh, a lot of them came from really poor background, right? Poor families. I mean, I, I still remember, like, it, from what my parents told me back in the days, they just didn't have much at all. Like, my dad has to um, even um, uh, went to school with, with his friends because his friend was probably the richest man in the school. So he was the only one that had cars and, and my dad would just get picked up. I mean, and, and, and my mom had to sort of cycle to school and, and stuff. Like, I mean, they didn't have much because of that mentality, um, being raised in that sort of, um, uh, uh, what do you call, um, environment. Um, it, 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 my parents kept teaching me about, you know, Tommy cash is king. Make sure you, you, you are good at saving money because they just want to make sure their children don't have to go through what the, what they were going through. It was really tough life back then. So that's why, um, a lot of us in Indonesia, we've been taught you have to be a you have to good at saving. You have to have cash. Um, if you want to buy anything, never borrow money if possible, right? If you want to buy a car, something like cars especially, you just have to be able to buy cash, uh, motorcycles, mobile phones. Um, and, and because of that, we, we, we are always trained to buy everything cash. And same with property. I mean, property prices in, in Indonesia is way cheaper. Uh, compared to Australia. So that's that's why I think a lot of people can afford buying cash um so that's that's how how all this cash i guess um culture came about and perhaps the the fact that people aren't leveraging as much in in indonesia is maybe why there has been a bit of a a ceiling on on prices that's sort of a a bit of an interesting idea um but let's let's talk about um that first property investment, and I think this is sort of a, a good um, segue. You, you talked about the holding cost differences um, when we've had a conversation. So if you're if you're buying a property with cash and you're not paying the interest payments, then there's there's no hoss. But this is actually something that you came unstuck with with your first investment. Can you can you can you? We've made people wait long enough. Can you tell us the story of the the disaster of the first property? Yeah. Okay. So because I, I just, again, I, I just bought anything, right? I think um, back when I bought it in 2006, Perth has just gone through a major property boom. Um, some 2004, 2005, I think property price went up by like 40% or something like that. So when I bought it at 2006, it was at the height of the market. Um, I bought it for, I think, $440,000, right? And the property that I bought, it was already 10 years old. So as you can imagine, the depreciation is not much. 
um, the benefit, the, the tax benefit that you get from the depreciation is not much. And I think back in the days, back back in 2006, interest rate was pretty high, like 8%. I think at some point it went up to like 13% or something like that. And and because of that, you know, to hold that property costs costs a lot of money and and maintenance because it's already ten years old, things break, and and I only get I think four hundred fifty bucks a week from rent. So, and 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 the, the main reason why I bought the property is again um, I earn I earn my first six figure salary, and people were like, oh Tommy, with that sort of salary, you have to be able to, you know, why don't you just save tax and have an asset. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So I, I, I bought that property for, for that reason. But now I realize that um, negative gearing means nothing, right? If after tax return, your cash flow is still negative. So that's what happened with me with that property. It cost me almost 10 grand annually to hold after the tax return. This is after I get the tax return, it's still negative 10 grand. So that's almost a grand a month. And, and as the years went by, I was preparing for like wedding and everything. Um, it's, it's just too much to hold. So what, what I learned from that was like, you know, I, I hold it for six years. Um, I sold it in 2012. Um, I sold it for $450,000. So for like 10 grand, not to mention the agent fee, right? So Ouch. yeah, I know. And, and, and throughout the period, because it, it, it cost me 10 grand a month, that has cost me good 50, 60 grand right there. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it went up, but uh, no, in real terms, it, it went down pretty hard for you. And and I guess you, you raise a good point about negative gearing. I mean, negative gearing is not really uh, a, a strategy. It's just kind of like a, a, a tax position that is okay if it's if it's something that you can service and it's on an asset that's growing right so you you might be happy to to lose you know ten thousand dollars a year in 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 maintenance and and interest deductions if the property's going up at seven or eight percent right but this one wasn't no no and especially i mean with, with the current market i mean just forget capital growth right i mean capital growth is something that you just never know when it's gonna it, it is going to happen in 20 years time right but the question is can you hold 20 years can you survive 20 years and i think um this is what happens i mean if 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 we have to sell early like myself i had to sell in my fifth sixth year there is no way i can make money so yeah because of that experience i'm like yeah i'm moving forward if if i want to buy and hold using a, a hold strategy then i have to make sure i can afford that property i can afford that do you think a lot of investors have a similar experience with their first property? Do you think they're getting a lot of them wrong? Oh, you'd be surprised. I've talked to many buyers who, who have three properties like that. <laughs> right. So it, it's not just the first one. I mean, unless you get educated, um, if, if your only sole belief in property investing is just price is going to go up, that's how you are going to lose financially. What what do you think was fundamentally wrong with this property that meant that it didn't go up in value? Because I'm I'm guessing that you were assuming or that you're hoping that it would. Was it was it the down the mining downturn? Was it just a bad area? Was it a perfect storm of a few different things? Do you think, Tommy? Well, because I I, I bought it at at the wrong time in the market. I bought it at the height of the market, right? So for that to 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 grow more, it I I have to go through a cycle. Um, Again, like I said, I mean, had had I hold it for 15 years, I think it, it would have gone up. Um, it's just uh, the, the thing is when I bought it, it's at, at the top of the market, and and with that negative cash flow, I just I just it just came down really hard on on my 
bank account and and I had to sell early. I think I think that's what's wrong with it. It's not. I mean, from my analysis so far, there is no such thing. I don't believe in good suburbs and bad suburbs. Every suburb grows. I mean, I've done my analysis. Even the the socio-economy um, sort of suburbs. You know, if you look at 15, 20 year sort of trend, some of them actually grow more than the blue chip suburbs. That's another question there. Property will always grow long term. It's, it's always a question of can you actually survive that long. So I think I think the issue for me was so much about about the cash flow, not so much about the 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 type of asset that I bought. I think in terms of area, it's pretty good. It's it's about 11 kilometers from the CBD, so it's it's not too bad. It's it's pretty good. It's it's close to uni, um, close to amenities. So it has no issue with that. Um, there is a school about a few hundred meters away from the property. So it's pretty good. It's just I, I couldn't hold it um, because my cash flow is, is way too negative. You obviously bounced back from that. How long did it take you to, to recover from that investment? And, and did that inform your investing sort of methodology from then on in? Did you start to look a little bit more on the cash flow side of things on the next one? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so 2012, between 2012 and 2018, I was out of property market because I don't know about you, but for me, you know, I tend to blame the vehicle instead of blaming myself for my stupidity, right? I, I blame, oh, property investing is just not working. Your ego's come up twice now, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but then along the way, um, I, I learned more, I listened more, um, I, I read more books, and, and that's when finally at, at 2018, um, I think I, I've told you this story as well, um, you know, something triggered in me to, to sort of like, uh, I've, I have to go back to, to property market and, and base, you know, because of, of, of all this knowledge that I've gathered along the way um, and, and also the mistakes um, that has allowed me now to, to look at property investing with a new different sets of uh, a new different sets of eyes, um, and and yeah, because of that, you know, I I, I now can be more diligent in in um, analysis, uh, upfront analysis, um, doing my cash flow calculation, um, just to make sure that on paper at least it gives me you know neutral, especially with this current low interest rate. I mean, if if you can't buy a neutrally um, geared property then you're not you're not doing a good job there so that's that's pretty much it before we dive into to what you've you've done with property since uh, 2018 obviously you've been pretty active you've picked up a few different things i'm interested in in the skills that you bring to the table uh, from an an analysis point of view you're obviously an it guru by definition means that you're pretty analytical or at least you have um, software or programs that you use to help you make those decisions and look at the cash flow and, and predict the, the, the capital gain and compare to different streets and suburbs and markets and that sort of thing. Is, is, that, uh, is that advantageous to you or do you think that you can become a bit paralyzed with, if you've got that sort of <laughs> brain? Well, um, I, I must admit, I think um, when, when it comes to, okay, there are two things in, in my opinion anyway there are two different skill sets that you need to have um, in in property investing one is the analytic skill which is like what you just said looking at cyber profile uh, you know trying to to make uh, create a, a chart or graphs about growth and whatever but secondly uh, the second skill set that, that I think we need to have um, that is as important is how to find the deals in the first place so you can do all these analytics, right? I can gather whatever information I want from RP data, but 
But at the end of the day, it's it's just a cyber profile, right? RP data can tell cannot tell me if a property is a good one to buy or not, right? So I still have to go through realestate.com.au, typing in my criteria, and I have to browse through thousands of them and being able to spot a deal. So that's that's the two skill sets that that I think we need to have as as a property investor. I mean, my IT background is great in terms of you know, getting getting the sub profile and and growth and and you know being able to like I've, I've, I'm currently doing this analysis of property clock of every suburb where where is a particular suburb sitting in the property clock. So that that my IT skill allows me to do that. But having said that, let's say I find a suburb that is sitting at six o'clock, we know that it's going to go up. I still have to be able to find the deal in that suburb. So that's the second skill set. So I'm I'm interested, and if we're not giving away the secret herbs and spices too much here, Tommy, how do we find the deal? So let let's say we've done our analysis, or we, we've 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 selected a particular area. What do you mean by finding the deal? Is is that you talking about negotiating with agents, or is it finding the right uh, type of street, or are we talking about you know finding the most in demand property, whether it be two bedroom houses or three bedroom units or whatever? Can you elaborate on that a little bit for? Sure. Okay. So um, I'll probably give you a couple of examples of, let's say, um, the first one is buy and hold, right? So to find the deals um, for buy and hold strategy, I'm looking at 5% plus yield. So comparing that with purchase price and the rental that you're going to get, um, it has to give me at least 5%. So that, that, that wouldn't be too difficult because you can then analyze different suburbs, um, looking at the rented properties around the area compared to the median price. And if, if that number comes as 5% plus, then you know it's a it's a good suburb to buy. And then secondly is when you, now now that you know which suburb to buy for buy and hold, you go to that suburb and, and you just try to find, I guess, you know, because if it's if it's for yield, um, I try to build a, like a four by two house instead of three by two because you know, rentals between three by two and four by two can 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 vary so much. I mean, three by two. Let's say you you can get three fifty for three by twos, but for four by twos you can get like four fifty a week. So that's a difference of hundred bucks a week, right? So so as part of your strategy, when you want to do buy and hold, that's how you look at it. Is is first find the suburbs that can give you good yield, has good rental yield. But secondly, is what sort of product are you building to give you that yield? So that's for buy and hold. Now for for the second one, um, this is one of pro- one of the properties that I've purchased for a client. Um, there is a a, a suburb, um, a, a medium up suburb here in WA. Um, the property that I bought, um, it's a four by one property, really old property, 1950s, 1960s. We bought it for four hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Right, in that area, four by two can sell up to eight hundred thousand dollars, Mike. So as you can imagine, if I buy that four by one, all I need to do is just do do renovation and add the bathroom to make it four by two. And that's going to cost you a lot less than four hundred thousand dollars. Well, because if you if you think about it, four fifteen plus purchase cost, make it four fifty, right? And then you add hundred k renovation, including adding a bathroom, five fifty, and you can sell it potentially up to eight hundred thousand dollars. It's just no-brainer. It's so that's how I spot a deal. Is you have to be able to know um, the suburb you're looking at in terms of median price, because as soon as you're able to find a a price that is just oh, you have to be able to 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 look at thousands of properties and be able to say ah, oh, that's cheap for that suburb. I'm buying that. That's it. 
Interesting. And thanks for thanks for sharing a little bit more info on, on how you actually grab something within that highlighted pocket. Let, let's talk about uh, yourself and your own portfolio. So around May last year, I think it was, you jumped back into the game pretty hard with two new acquisitions pretty quickly. Can you talk to us about what you purchased and what the sort of strategy is that made you select these particular two properties? Sure. Yeah. So the the particular strategy I wanted to execute um, last year was was just another um, buy and hold strategy, um, and because of that, obviously, as you are aware, it has to be positive cash flow, especially with this current low interest rate. I mean, you know, you just have to be able to at least get positive cash flow. So the first one was just a single dwelling. Um, I was again, I was researching for a suburb where uh, I can get I can get. Five percent plus yield. Now, I bought a piece of land. It's a small piece of land, like two hundred twenty square meters, um, for for hundred ninety k. So it's really cheap land, and and I I was building a four by two because, like I just mentioned earlier to you, um, that you know between three by two and four by two, you can actually get a lot more rental yield, right? So I was building four by two, um, cost me about 190K. So total 380K. Um, and I rented it at the moment. It's, it's tenanted already, um, at 410 per week. So that's five and a half percent yield there. Um, so that's, that's the first one. The second one is actually a dual occupancy. Um, so it's two buildings on one, uh, land, uh, with one title of land and and that allows me again um, the area I'm buying into is an area where I can get good rental yield um, and because it's dual occupancy it's actually positive gearing it's you know like the positive cash flow is the cash flow will, will become positive after your tax return but this is gearing meaning that the income that I'm getting from the rent is more than the the pre-tax you're in front Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. And um and so obviously you've 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 set upon a particular area where you've bought the dual lock and, and the, the parcel of land. Can you tell us something about the fundamentals of the area? Is it a professional area? Is it more blue chip? Is it working class? Is it close to the city? Is it up and coming? Is it an ugly duckling? I'll probably run out of <laughs> of, of explanations and I'll just let you answer the question. Yeah. So I guess, again, for me is as long as um, it's all about the cash flow calculation, right? As long as the rent, um, as long as the yield is more than 5%, I'm buying it. So this particular property with the dual occupancy, why I bought it in that area is because the the, the suburbs around it um, are, are quite popular area, um, growing area, but it's actually more than just the growth itself. Um, the yield is pretty good in that area. And not just that, to build a dual occupancy um, here in WA, a lot of the councils um, forcing you to build on a 450 square meter land with 15 meter frontage minimum. Yeah. And if you try to look for land with that specifications, a lot of them are really expensive already. We're talking about 350, 350K at least. Right. It means that if you have to build dual occupancy, um, it's going to cost you about 270, I think, um, with the with the building. So 270 plus, let's say 350, that's already 610. If you're 100 bucks a week in rental, you're not any better, right? This particular one, I bought the land for 228,000 and a half. Yeah. So if I add 270 building on top of it, it's less than 500k. 
less than 500k, I potentially can get between 600 to 650 bucks a week rental. So that's that's how I I I analyze it. So we've been talking a lot about the the cash flow, and I'm just sort of interested in in your thoughts here, because I because I mean something like that, the cash flow might be enough if you're you're paying down the debt eventually, or at the end when you're looking to retire, you might might pay it off and you have that income stream. For the other ones that might be just a bit more close to to neutral, they're paying for themselves, but if they stay in that sort of state, I guess they're not necessarily the best possible uh, investment if there's no capital growth or there's no rental yield growth are you banking on one other than the other or you know how much are you just focused on that cash flow being you know over five percent what what's your sort of end strategy there yeah well because like, like i said i mean I've, I've done analysis i mean i'm looking at a sample data from blue chip properties even down to the low social economy um suburbs right and and from my analysis no matter what suburb you pick it will always grow long term so the cash flow is what allows me to hold that long term, Mike. So again, the the my 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 end goal is obviously capital growth, no doubt about it. But until that happens, I have to be able to hold to it for a long time. Um, yeah. So that's 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 my thinking behind it. Is 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 why I I mean for me it doesn't matter which suburb as long as I can hold it for a long time. I know I'm I'm going to win. That's that's my principle. We've talked a little bit about strategies, and I know that um, you, you have a few different strategies that you work through with uh, with some of your clients. We've talked about buy and hold, and you know, obviously purchasing a block of land and building, or or looking at dual lock opportunities. Is there any sort of strategy that you're employing for your working towards? And and can you talk to us about some of the the, the different strategies that you get involved in? Yeah. Okay. So, in in I mean, this is just just my opinion. In in property investing, there are pretty much just two main strategies: either you buy and hold, or you buy and flip. It is the sub strategies that you can actually mix match. Let's say buy and hold. Let's take buy and hold. Right? You can you can subdivide, build duplex, and hold them. You can build triplex and hold them. You can you can build two luxury houses and hold them. You can um, buy a single dwelling and hold them, uh, dual occupancy and hold, right? Um, you can buy and rest properties, for example, um, get cash flow from the government. You can build student accommodation and hold them. So that's just the buy and hold, as, as you can imagine. I mean, there are so many strategies just for buy and hold. And then buy and flip is the same. You can renovate and flip, you can do land flip, you can subdivide and retain the one, flip the other one. Um, so those are the, the, the fair strategies now, as far as how I've been involved in it. It all depends on what the investors want to do. Um, every one of them has different requirements when they came to me. Um, you know, some of them are like, "I have five hundred thousand dollars, Tommy. What can you do for me?" So in that regard, um, they just don't care whatever strategies, as long as um, you know you, it, there is a return on their investment. Um, but some of them are really specific. I'm looking for buy and hold on because my family is going to come over um, to Australia. Um, I want a property that can be rented out right now, um, which I'm going to be living in um, in a few years' time. So that is a different strategy altogether because it means that I have to find them in a relatively good suburb because eventually they are going to live in it. But at the same time, I want to make sure the, the yield is as high as possible so that it, it costs them um, as little as possible to hold them until they move in. So every every investor is different. Every buyer is different. Um, and in terms of strategies, again, it, it it it's whatever they suits their profile. 
Yeah, interesting. And we of course talked about the the sort of the renovation strategy of of changing the the four by one to four two as well. Some really interesting one to, to to look at. Let's talk about um, where you're at. You're on the side of the country in Perth at the moment. Um, what can you tell us about the market? Um, obviously, there's been a, a, a big decline in prices. The, the mining boom has sort of ended there. We got to a point where, you know, the unemployment rate over there was under 4% and capital growth was going gangbusters. Um, what was the market like when it peaked? Uh, and hopefully that doesn't bring up any sort of bad memories for you because you mentioned you you bought at the peak. But what was it like then and, and, and what's it like now and where is it heading? Yeah, okay. So obviously during the mining boom, um, I, I think it's human nature, right? When, when you've got a lot of money, you tend to, to spend it. And, and I think that's, that's really the sentiment back then when mining was booming. Um, it's the fear of missing out. It's FOMO, right? Everybody was like, you know... Uh, like I've, I've spoken to a lot of real estate agents back in those days when they have home opened, you've got like 10, 20 groups coming, right? Everybody was fighting to buy a property. I mean, if, if a property is listed for 500K, they will buy it at 600K. That's just how crazy it was. Um, but then during the downturn, it's the other way around. It's, it's the fear of paying too much. Right. Um, so, so the sentiment at the moment, obviously, you know, when there is a home open, maybe there is one or two groups maximum. Um, now, at the moment, it's not too bad. But let's say, you know, 2016, 2017, some, a lot of home opens, they just didn't have anyone coming. That's just that's just how bad it was um, in, in terms of price. Uh, it has gone down. I mean, since the mining boom to to today to now, um, if you lost twenty percent, it's normal. Yeah. So five hundred k property becoming four hundred k is normal. Four hundred k properties becoming three hundred is normal. Two two million dollars property becoming one point one one point two is normal. Um, that's the kind of losses um, uh, people had. It's just because I think again people were banking tend to bank on capital growth. When that didn't happen and the cash flow is too negative, they have to force, they, they have to force themselves to sell at a loss. And that's what happened. That's what I think keep bringing the price down. Now, uh, where is the market right now? Um, I've done my analysis. Obviously, as you can, uh, as you are aware, there is always market within market. There is always suburb within suburb. So I've done my analysis. Every suburb is sitting at a different position in the property clock. Um, some of them are sitting at four or five o'clock, I reckon, which which price can still go down. Some of them are sitting at six. Um, so the only way is up. Some of them are, have actually grown, especially like the, the blue chip suburbs near the, the water. Um, the, the medium up suburbs, they, they have grown. So I think they are sitting at seven, eight o'clock. Um, yeah, so so every suburb is different. Um, but some, some of them are still about to go down is just because I think the the especially like in those suburbs where the income um, demography is not as great, um, you know they they tend to have more risk, higher risk of defaulting and getting possessed by the bank, and that's the sort of areas that will just keep going down in price at the moment. And are there areas where there's some some really good. So I'm just sort of wondering whether it be in in WA or Perth or or anywhere across Australia, are there are there spots that you're eyeing that you see have have really good upside now? I'm guessing, especially with with Perth, it's it's potentially a good time to buy in a lot of places. 
Absolutely. Well, I think I think that, that's that's what I said to you earlier, uh, Mike. Is is I think you have two things that you have to consider. One is your analysis skill, right? Is looking at which suburb is growing and stuff. But secondly, I think I think for me, I I tend to rely on the second skill, which is to finding the deals in the first place. Because let's take that four hundred fifteen thousand dollar property that I just mentioned to you about the one that we are adding bathroom to. That kind of thing, you can never go wrong with that. So in this, in instead of just getting fixated on a particular suburb for growth, why don't we find deals below market? What what can we do to, to actually add value to that? Um, that can give us, I guess, faster returns, um, more liquid um, returns, I guess. So that's, that's how I approach it. Because you can factor your own capital growth, right? So obviously, you, know, you can wait for a property suburb to go up in value, but you can buy under market, or you can do these renovations or alterations and have a, you know, have a, a one point five or two times multiple on the money spent. Can you talk to us about you? You, you mentioned the the phrase finding the deals, and and it's uh, it's it's really sort of uh, piqued my interest there. How are we find how are we finding the, those deals obviously we talked about you know making sure that you've got a five percent rental yield or more um you know we, we've touched on upside potential of reconfiguration but how do we how do we find the the good deals and and how do we how do we source things that are that are below market yeah well i guess i mean if, if it's for like uh i mean below market is great um but then um, there is, a, uh, you know, let's say, let's say the market value is five hundred thousand. You you bought it at four hundred eighty. That's below market, but with ten twenty grand, that's not much you you can make there, right? In terms of profit. But if I think if if you want to talk about um, sort of like building equity quickly, um, I'll give you another example. Um, I have this deal where it's in a again medium up suburb, very old house which you have to demolish. There is no other way. But then. It has a huge frontage, 20 meters frontage. So you can actually split the block into two street fronts properties and you can build medium up house, right? Let's say, you know, it costs you 250 to 300K to build the house, but then each you can sell at 750, $800,000. So, you know, that, that, that's another strategy. I mean, that's, that's a building strategy. That's, that's not just renovation. Um, I've, I, I, I had another one in the past where you can retain the front and then you subdivide um, the front. So let's say, let's take the property. Um, it, they, they, the seller was selling it for 500K. The front alone, after you renovate, you can actually sell for 500K and then you can subdivide the land at the back. So the money is actually at the back. So that's, that's, that's the kind of, things you can look at to how to find the deals is I think for me um, the way I, I do it is if if you can if you can make one property to become two and you can sell the the, the one at the same price as, as your purchase price then you know you can make money yeah yeah that's a that's a very good way to get that LVR down really quickly isn't it yeah, that's one strategy. Another strategy is like, let's say if you want to look for renovation, then again, I mean, um, I try to to tend to look for like four by ones, the four by ones, right? I like that is because all you need to do is just to add a bathroom and, and the value will just go up very easily. Um, things like that, Mike. I mean, 
You'll have to speak up. I'm just going through four by ones on realestate.com right now, Tommy. You've, uh, you've, you've turned, I want to talk about uh, you turning your passion into a job. So, so really property was, I guess, a, a, a side sort of fascination for you. And, you know, we, we've talked about the, the six figure salary in the IT world and, and the ego getting you into property. And you might have got burnt in the beginning, but you, you're, you're very passionate about it now and you've started your own buyer's agency. Can, can you run us through the motivation and what sort of led you to that decision to, to start your, your agency? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think the, the passion for me is is not so much about the property itself, but I think it's it's in the advisory. It's in the consultancy because I've been an IT consultant for a long time and along the way I've had the privilege privilege of helping CIOs, CEOs, executives, right? And 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 that's my passion, um, the fact that I can help them out of their IT issues. So I'm like, okay, um, by becoming a buyer's agent, I'm actually doing exactly the same thing, except this is not in property. So the main motivation for me was, the main passion is actually that consultancy part of it. Um, advising people, talking to people—that's what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, that's great. If you're if you're focused on getting the best possible outcome for people, then it's it's great to be any sort of business. I think that's the, that's the best motivation to start anything. When we were talking about strategies, and if people do come to you, Tommy, that are interested in in working with you, how, how do we tailor those strategies particular to the client? So we've had conversations on this podcast before where um, buyers agents might lead people to a particular property based on that being the need of their portfolio, right? So their portfolio might might be able to stomach a negatively geared growth asset because it has great cash flow or there might be a couple of negatively geared properties that are dragging it underwater and they need a, a cash flow. How, how do you sort of look at a client coming to you? Now, let's just sort of limit that to, to a property investor. How do you sort of look at what they've got and then make a decision about what direction to suggest that they move into? It's not so much about looking at their whole portfolio. Um, so far, the, 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 the investors who have come to me, they just come to me with a specific requirement. So let's say, Tommy, I've got $200,000 in SMSF, right? What can you do for me? So when I look at, okay, if you only have $200,000, SMSF, you can't really get a loan. So it has to be $200,000 cash. Strategies that turns, I guess, that we can do is, okay, I can, I can buy you a a townhouse, right, where you can get a 5% plus yield. That's even a hold. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite old at the moment. I'm already in my 50s. Um, I don't want to hold anymore because I can't enjoy the, the, the growth. By the time he, you know, he wants to enjoy the growth, he might have, I say this respectfully, he might have passed away, right? He's already old. So, so another strategy is, okay, if that's the case, then 200K, I can buy you a land, a piece of land, and then you can just flip it. There you go, right? Um, I've got another uh, investor, again, uh, the one that I just mentioned to you. I've got 500K. What can you do, Tommy? So, again, that that I would ask them, okay, do you want, do you want to hold? What do you want to do? Do you want a quick, you know, uh, capital? Like if you've, got, uh, if you've got 500K cash, then I can buy you two properties to flip or I can buy you a, a, a single property like that for 415 one in, in a medium up suburb, which you can renovate and you can flip. Um, various strategies, Mike. Um, and some of them, again, some of them come to me with, with specific requirements. Then, then I just tailor them the strategies based on, on the requirements. But I think very rare do they actually want me to, to look at their whole, whole property portfolio 
and tell me what's the best strategy for them looking at the hook because I think I, I don't think I, I'll be qualified anyway to to advise them from that investment level anyway um, I can only give them strategies on on property by property purchase base yeah fair enough I, I guess though that if, if if they do have uh, too many negatively geared properties then they're going to come to you and say look this is my pain point and you would recommend uh, a positively geared property but I'm, I'm interested in 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 how often people come to you with a set idea in their mind they might say Tommy you know I want to buy a place and renovate it and sell it and 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 do you just execute their wishes or or perhaps steer them in another direction what what, what process do you follow if they've got a, a strategy or an idea and they come to you and you actually think that that is not the best possible thing for them to do with their equity well this is the thing i mean 99 percent of people who have come to me mike they're they only have one strategy buy and hold so it's actually up to me to give them multiple options so <laughs> when i present them with okay take a look at this property you can retain the front renovate and then you subdivide and you make money at the back and, and they were like how on earth have i not ever thought about it do you know what I mean? and, and that 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 so far, that has been the sentiment. So far, it's it's they just never realized uh, these property buyers. They they are really savvy investors. Don't get me wrong. I mean, one of them, one of my clients, has already had ten properties in his portfolio. Right, really savvy. But all the the strategy that is executed so far is just buy and hold. Only when I when I present him with with this multiple flip strategies, they were like, "Holy moly, I should have done this earlier because this guy is really strong in cash." He, he can actually just multiply his money even quicker than just buy and hold. So I find that's a really interesting thing. I would assume that a lot of people would, would come to you and, and say, look, we want to get involved in property or we want to extend our pro- portfolio. What can you do for us? But you, you, you're saying that most people come and say, Tommy, I want to do this. Help me out. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people just come to me and say, Tommy, I want to invest in property, but I know straight away what they have in mind is just buy and hold for capital growth. Yeah, interesting. And can you share some of your your success stories and let us know what uh, what it's like at the cold face as a, a cold face as a buyer's agent? Are you enjoying it? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the very first purchase that I did um, for a client is for a land flip deal. Check this out. This is a six hundred eighty three square meter land with R fifteen slash twenty five zoning, so we know we can subdivide this. Twenty six kilometers from CBD, something like that, and um, you know, few like fifty meters, I think, from the nearest bus stop. They were selling for like hundred twenty nine k, very cheap, right? And I know, and 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 I was like, when I spot that, I'm like, holy moly, this is a steal. Five hundred meters away from from that area, um, there is a new estate where land is selling for you know like a minimum of two fifty three hundred k. So I know I'm like I know this is this is a gold mine here. So I presented to my uh, buyer and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna purchase that cash. Um, so we're trying to he's he's now trying to sell it for hundred eighty nine k at the moment. Um, just flip it straight away. Um, so as you can imagine, hundred twenty nine with purchase cost and everything, hundred thirty five. Trying to sell it 189, maybe he's not going to get 189, but let's say he's getting 160k. You know, that's that's still a good 25k um, return there in less than a year. So that's that's the first one we bought, and obviously I've told you about that four by one. Another one is um, similar. It's it's uh, it's in the uh, blue chip suburb. $530,000 when when we bought it. Four by three. 
four by three, can you imagine? Four by three in that area can sell close to a million dollars. The reason why the seller was selling it is because his daughter was the property manager, right? So, so these guys were renting it privately, but what happens is the daughter never passed the money back to the dad. So the dad was like, I'm gonna sell it, I don't care. So, so the seller was buying the property for 520 in 2009, and here we are, 2019, we bought it for 530. So that that's another success story there because we know after renovation, four by three is already four by three. Um, we know we can we can sell it. Let's let's be pessimistic. I I think I'm confident we can sell that for at least six fifty seven hundred. Wow, that's an awkward Christmas at uh, at at his house with his with his daughter. But uh, yeah, if you're able to capitalize that, then 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 good on you. Um, Tommy, how, how do people get in touch with you if they've got some questions or they want to have a chat to you about uh, how you've grown your portfolio and uh, and what you do for your clients? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm really active in social media. All my clients come from social media so far. So I've got Facebook, I've got LinkedIn, I've got um, Twitter, I've got Instagram, Easy Buyers Agent. That's my handle. Um, you can also visit my website, easybuyer.com.au. You can call me 0404457754. You can email me. All the contact details are on my website as well. Beautiful. That's fantastic, Tommy. And um, so you've, you've gone from buying one property that was a disaster, then coming back in with a vengeance with two. I think at the moment you're now up to five. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So on that basis, you've, 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 you've achieved a, a reasonable amount after some, uh, some uppercuts in the beginning. Can you leave us with, if there's one piece of advice that you can impart to property investors, what would that be? If it's if it's one piece of advice, then this is this is the advice that I'm I I I hold really close to to myself. This is an advice from my parents. They say to me one time, nothing is expensive if you can afford it. If you've got the money, nothing is expensive. And I'm like, holy moly, how true is that? A million dollar property is cheap for someone with hundred million dollars in cash, right? A million dollar property is expensive for me because I just don't have the money. So, I think. Um, when it comes to property investing, make sure you buy something that you can not only you can afford, but you know that the the, pro- the property itself. I mean, when when I say something that you can afford, is more than just the cash that you put into it, but also can you afford holding it? So when 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 we talk about affordability, it's it's everything. It's cash flow, it's growth. Um, you know, you might be my you might be in negative in red for now for short term. That's fine as long as you know there is growth. So it means you can afford it. And, and whatever it is, as long as you can afford it, um, you, you can buy. But if you can't afford it, don't buy it. That's it. That's some sagely Indonesian wisdom. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Mm-hmm.